Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, aka ClearCast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager with Clearance Jobs. And today I am so excited about our guest. We have Carla Bass here on the line. Uh, She's a colonel, uh, retired from the U.S. Air Force, um, and she has a really great take on the power of writing. She has uh, a few books out. She's taught thousands of people to open doors to opportunity with powerful writing skills. Here at Clearance Jobs, we talk a ton about the power of reading and how that can increase your IQ, improve your, uh, your communication skills. Same with writing. So I'm really excited to get down into the nitty gritty of that. So Carla, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm so excited to be with you and your audience. Excellent. So first, I thought if we could talk a little bit about you and your background in the military and then moving through your military transition and the work you've been doing uh, as a civilian. I decided to join Air Force intelligence, specifically intelligence, when I was in seventh grade. Uh, my father, my father was himself an Air Force colonel, and my mother chastised me almost daily about don't ask your father any questions about what he can, what he does. It, it'll embarrass him. And so I thought, well, fooey, if I can't ask him, I'll just join it myself. And I did. Um, Thirty years went by in a heartbeat. The the he gave me three pieces of advice upon commissioning, and those directly impact what I did for the 30 years and where I am today. Uh, first piece of advice was uh, keep your sense of humor. And oh my goodness, that applies to everybody. Second was stay focused sure. on the job, as in don't get caught up in office politics. But the one that, that truly resonated was take care of your people and they will take care of you. So that is, that's what prompted me. That's when I realized the impact that powerful writing has on people's careers, on their lives, on their ability to send their own kids to college. It all came together in this, in this dramatic aha moment, changed my life and it changed uh, God knows how many other people's as well. Sure. Well, uh, you know, seventh grade, that's, that's a young age to know what you want to do with life. But if you have that goal and you set your mind to it, that structure is, I think, is pretty important. So the power of writing, let's talk about, first, let's talk about how that maybe has applied to the work that you've done within the intelligence community and sort of your professional world. Sure. Um, I learned from my, my earliest assignments that that seconds matter when you are briefing or when you are writing uh, documents for for people's consumption. As a first lieutenant, I was the one of the daily briefers to the director of the National Security Agency. In that assignment, there was no room for error. Every single word had to count. I mean, literally seconds counted. So, so I learned from the the earliest days how to write with focused precision, and uh, and and that thread actually undergirded my entire Air Force career, whether it was writing intelligence reports or 
or uh, justifying budgets for, for programs and for systems. You have to be able to persuade the audience that your case, your case is the one they should vote for. It's, it's framing a, a winning argument. And, um, and, and that's what I learned how to do for, uh, for all those years. Sure. So in, in that experience that you've gained throughout, you know, the, your time in the Air Force and then so on afterwards in the civilian sector, the power of writing, where, are there any specific scenarios where it can make or break someone in the professional world today that you could glean a little insight on? Sure. Well, from, uh, from a business perspective, um, you know, it has everything to do with being able, I call it defend your castle. Everybody is always threatened by budget cuts. So you have to be able to make that compelling case with details and examples on why your budget should not be cut. Uh, the flip side of that particular coin is expanding your empire. If you have a, a new program or a research project or something that, that's new that's not budgeted for, you have to be able to make the case, why, why does that project um, uh, benefit? Why does it deserve those funds? Uh, marketing products, um, competing your organizations for awards, competing your people for awards, um, writing uh, performance inputs on them that, that will propel their careers and encourage them to stay with your company, to remain loyal to you and, uh, and to retain that talent. Um, strategize your web presence, you know, uh, the above the fold on a web page. There's only so much space that you, that you have. So the, the individual who can maximize the available space and the reader's time, because everybody is very busy. So if you can maximize the reader's time and available space, then again, that puts you in a, uh, in a, a propitious um, position. Sure. Uh, so I, you, you mentioned a few that are key, you know, to the, the work in the Department of Defense, being able to convey in a proposal effort how you meet the mission requirements uh, that can make or break your business in obtaining new work, which is is very important. I mean, if you don't know how to write and you don't know how to write a compelling story for the audience that you're speaking to, um, you know, that lacking that communication certainly can make or break a professional in today's world. Oh, definitely. And and more often, this is how you stand out from the crowd. If If you can spin that compelling story, whether, you know, it's not just writing the, the bids to compete for the contract. You have to do a very good job at writing the request for proposal. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to have the, the bids uh, match your requirements, you have to do an excellent job in stating exactly what those requirements are. And as far as trying to compete for the bid, um, another element to that is not just writing, but knowing your audience. So you look at that request for proposal and and did that, in fact, adequately capture the mission need? Or did the author of that RFP not quite capture it? If you can identify other things that the user needs, then you can also um, apply your, uh, your capabilities to that as well. Absolutely. Uh, very well said. So kind of switching gears from you know, the RFP process, uh, procurement, uh, obtaining new work, winning new work. Uh, how has, how has writing sort of changed, if at all, in resume writing or performance reviews, 
um, which is going to speak to our candidate audience a little bit with the transition to working almost 100% in a digital space. What have you found there? Well, uh, actually, I don't think it's changed it that much with the exception that people people now have less uh, person-to-person interaction, which means they are more dependent on re- reading the digits, which means they, they get tired and so and impatient. So that actually increases the urgency of your being able to make your point, make it concisely and quickly. Otherwise, they're just going to they're going to tune off and go away. No, that that's very true. Writing is even more important. For example, uh, if, if you're navigating the job search in a 100 percent cyber environment, uh, you doing those cold messages, you need to be able to write, you need to be able to get to the point. You need to be able to not waste that recruiter's time. Yep. Uh, how is that applicable, you know, in the performance reviews process, would you say, if you're, you know, doing that with your supervisor or an advisory panel? Well, first you have to know uh, what is it that, that your your job expectations are. So you go in with what 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 are the thresholds you're supposed to meet? And then keep track of what it is that you've accomplished, you know, day by day, so that when it's time for your input to the performance review, you're not scratching your head wondering what did I do last year. Um, some of the uh, some of the tips, you know, you were asking about um, shortfalls that I see in resumes and uh, and in um, uh, contract bids and so forth. I've got I've got four items or four areas that apply to both of those areas and also to input to performance review. The first is people make the mistake of lack of detail. They only tell a partial story. And I'll give an example of this in just a second. The second is they fail to explain what was the impact. What was the so what of the story that they're telling? The third is is verbs, something as simple as verbs. People use verbs that are overused, that are vague, that say nothing. It's like they're afraid of of hard-hitting verbs. And do me a favor, remind me to talk about the hard-boiled egg, okay? And the fourth one is misplaced emphasis. We, we tend to think sequentially. So we explain how we did something and then we get to the what. The problem is when you're trying to, when you've got limited time and you're trying to make a solid hard hitting point, talk about the what first and then the how. Now, here's an example that pretty much captures all of what I just said. The first, I've got one resume bullet, and I'm going to evolve it in four iterations and watch this thing develop. The first one is developed an innovative marketing strategy that the division chief implemented. On the surface, that sounds good, but watch what happens in step two. Developed and deployed an innovative marketing strategy. We we threw away the bit about that the boss approved. The third version is Now we get to the impact because the first two didn't have the impact. Developed and deployed an innovative marketing strategy that increased sales by 30% this quarter. Now you can see this story starting to get some uh, some traction and it's got some uh, it's got some power. And then instead of saying um, innovate, oh that increased sales, throw away increased and go for catapulted. Drama is okay. Catapulted sales. By 30% this quarter, that's the what did she do. The how, which is less important, is with an innovative marketing strategy. So I'm going to read that again. 
catapulted sales by 30% this quarter. That's like a boxer's right cross to your jaw. You, you, I got mm-hmm. your attention. Catapulted sales by 30% this quarter with her innovative marketing strategy. Now, the only way you can improve on that, and there is a way, I call this subliminal words. Words like alone is what I'm going to add to this. So you've got catapulted sales by 30% this quarter alone, which is a foot stomp, with her innovative marketing strategy. So, so that example that I just ran you through talks to lack of detail. It talks to lack of impact, um, boring verbs, and the misplaced emphasis. I turned all of that on its ear. And, and that's how you write powerful attention-getting text. Sure. I mean, great point. So you told me to remind you about the hard-boiled egg. Yes. So so in my book, uh, part two of the book, it's a four-part book, part two are my word sculpting tools. Now, to, to quickly explain word sculpting, so so poof, you are now a sculptor. Uh, you're in a sun-drenched studio. You've got the, the beret, the hammer and chisel, and you're looking at an eight-foot chunk of marble. Because you're a master sculptor, you know the, the figure that lies dormant in the marble. So hammer, hammer, chisel, chisel, rubble, rubble, there's your statue. Same thing with word sculpting, except instead of having that, that chunk of marble, you have your first draft. So part two of my book, I have 10 word sculpting tools. And one by one, you, you apply those tools sentence by sentence, and you get rid of, you discard the useless words, the redundancies, the bureaucratic blather. One of those tools is verbs. It's called verbs are your friends, rely on them. So here's a hard boiled egg. Imagine a hard boiled egg. And now make that sucker about six foot tall. And what, what that demonstrates is how we smother verbs in bureaucratic blather today. So for example, uh, poses threats equals threaten. Mm-hmm. Place an emphasis on is emphasize. Uh, you're going to love this one. Led the pathway to awareness. Okay, that's, that's simply raise awareness. Places mm-hmm. at a disadvantage is disadvantages. So you look at each one of your verbs and, and you peel away all that white stuff and you focus on the yoke. And that gets you more crisp writing that's more dynamic and, and more impactful. Sure. I love that analogy because the other thing to think about there is when you are adding in all of this extra that doesn't need to be there, you're taking away from the space, potentially on a resume or whatever piece you're writing, um, you're taking away that space where more substance could be, essentially. Yep. So I explain that. that That's actually the, the fundamental principle of my writing methodology. So imagine, now imagine a, a white rectangle and, and make mm-hmm. it about an inch tall and maybe eight inches wide. The, 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 the point that that image conveys is that what I said earlier, each author, whether you're writing a, a resume, whether you're writing for Congress or whether you're writing a blog, each author is constrained by two things. You're constrained by the reader's time. It's like tick, tick, I'm busy. And you're constrained by that available space. So, uh, you know, that space can actually, it's sometimes a demarcated area on a government form. You know, give me your, your input to your performance review. You have 1,000 words. 
or for a grant submission, uh, summarize your grant in 250 words. Or if you're trying to, if you have to give a, a byline for an article, do that in 170 spaces, counting the spaces. So the author who best leverages the available time and space wins. So go back to my little white rectangle. Now put in that wet rectangle in big, fat, black letters, the word opportunity. So space is opportunity. So as you're sculpting out all of those wasted words, you go from maybe 10 pages to five pages, and you've just bought yourself five more pages to make that compelling case, five more pages to justify uh, why your argument is right, why your, your recommended policy change should be selected. Um, so that, that's what this writing methodology does. I, I love that. And I love that you've put together these nice little packaged analogies for folks like me that love learning by the story that uh, I'm visualizing in my head. So I, I really love all that. Really great nuggets for proposal writing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, resumes, performance reviews, all of this writing advice is certainly applicable there. Uh, any uh, fun, funny, potentially cringeworthy? I love a good yeah, cringeworthy I, I story that, that I, you I could have, share. Well, I've got one cringeworthy and, and one funny. Both, both have to do with communication. So Let's hear it. Okay, so the cringeworthy. I, I am now, at, at this point in time, I was a lieutenant colonel. I was a division chief in the Pentagon. I had been writing, you know, using my style uh, for years and nobody ever read marked my writing, like never. So there was one major um, that I was trying very desperately to promote. He was he was such a, a talented individual. So I, I wrote up his resume, I mean, his, his uh, evaluation. And, the, you know, what I was trying to do is to have his standout, standout from the crowd is so important. So I, I framed his write-up using a baseball um, analogy. Now, I'm also imaginative, so I, I spun this thing great. I mean, ball out of the ball player, hit it out of the park, and, and so forth and so on. The, my boss, who was a, a GS 15, sent the eval back to me. It was, I mean, it was nothing but red ink. And he told me correctly so Carla, lay off the metaphorical flights of fancy. That was 30 years ago. I remember those words to this day, and I incorporated that story in my book because he was so right. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can try and, and have that person stand out a little bit, but I definitely, I definitely went down the foxhole sure. too deeply, and I love that one. Now, the, uh, the other one is um, when I was a defense attache to Bulgaria, I was attending the ambassador's um, Easter um, I guess it's an Easter brunch. He, uh, he invited all sorts of the prime minister, all sorts of, uh, of DVs attended that. And he had had one of his enlisted troops was going to be the Easter bunny, big Easter costume. Problem was that individual uh, suddenly turned up ill. So he's, he's desperately seeking somebody to become an Easter bunny. So on a dime, I, I you know, took off the uniform and I became the Easter bunny and was able to, I spoke Bulgarian back in those days. So I did that 90 degree pivot and went from the, the, the state and professional Air Force Colonel Defense Attaché to being an Easter bunny on my knees, handing out wow. candy and schmoozing with the Bulgarian kids in their own language. So the lesson there is, is you have to know your audience. 
You have to be able to, pardon the pun, but speak a language they understand and come down to their level or elevate depending on with whom you're speaking. Sure. Uh, if we're going along the lines of animals, turning into that chameleon, being able to, again, speak to the audience, convey your point to the audience that you're speaking to. Yep. Those are great stories. My stories usually surround uh, the the the, uh, the um, email communications when I'm uh, going working a little bit too fast. The devil is in the details, and sometimes oh, I just mess that. I tell up you, email royally. email is another whole story right there. Before we run out of time, let me explain that aha moment that that brought all of this together for me. Sure. When I was a, uh, a squadron commander in Hawaii with the 324th Intelligence Squadron, um, when I arrived on the island, it was the most losing unit in statewide professional quarterly and annual awards. It was almost a joke. They always lost. And the, the tragedy was they weren't losing because they didn't deserve to win. There's a double negative there, but I did that on purpose. It's because supervisors didn't know how to write winning packages. And, and as a result of that, wonderful careers were being unintentionally impeded. So I took three days personal time. I sequestered myself in a beach cabin, and that's where I analyzed my writing and began this journey. It was, okay, Carly, you were successful in the Pentagon competing your people what do you do? How do you write? And how can you share that with others? That's where I developed the word sculpting tools. So I, I, turned, I turned that analysis into about a 20-page handbook, and I turned my 20-page tactical handbook into a one-hour workshop, and the need was so vacuous. God, I was shocked at this because my only concern was were my people. But I ended up teaching that one-hour workshop for the next 15 years to thousands of people. And then when I retired, wow. you know, this thing was in my soul because I've gotten testimonial on testimonial about Colonel Bass. If it hadn't been for, I wouldn't have been able to. So that's what, that's what prompted me to write the book, Right to Influence. And then I taught that for two years and, and developed so much new material from all these workshops that I gave to corporations and academia and, and, and uh, government agencies. I turned all those workshop materials into the second edition uh, and 70 more pages. So that's how I, how I recognize this and then, uh, you know, what brought me here today. Sure. Well, I, you know, I really appreciate you joining me today for this episode. You've given us so many great hot tips and golden nuggets, but is there one last one that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, man. Yeah, lear learning how to write, learning this methodology is a life skill. The beauty is if you learn it once, you can apply it often. It will open doors to opportunities that would remain closed otherwise. So that, that's, my, that's my, my plea to people is help yourselves by learning how to write to influence. I mean, it's, it's a win-win situation. Sure. Well, okay. So my very last question is here. Mm -hmm. You did mention that your aha moment happened in Hawaii. And I ask all, all my, all my veterans what their favorite place they were stationed at and why is, is it Hawaii or is it someplace different? It was Turkey. 
I was uh, I was deployed to Turkey for six months during Operation Northern Watch, and this is before the world deteriorated. There were no other shooting wars going on at that time, except for Saddam Hussein trying to shoot down our our patrolling aircraft. So for two reasons, first that's that was a real time, no kidding application of intelligence daily to keep our pilots safe. You know that. I'd never been in that position before. And if you, I mean, that really incents you to go to work. It, it truly does. And the other was the Turkish people. I, I spoke the language there and and I fell in love with the, the Turkish people. They were the most uh, generous, uh, giving folks that as, as a whole that I'd ever encountered. So six months in Turkey was just, it was an amazing experience. Lovely. Well, I appreciate you sharing uh, your story, talking a little bit about your book, Right to Influence. Everyone can check that out and find it on Amazon. We'll be sure to include the link in the show notes as well. Uh, Carla, again, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. And if you all are looking for more career advice and leadership tips, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. <laughs>